says reserved for weighing right on the end. You've, you've heard about visitors that, that come and somebody's in their seat and they'll say, excuse me, would you, would you mind uh, changing seats? You're in my seat. All right, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew 25. I was going to try to show the modern-day parable of the Good Samaritan, but we are not able to locate it this time. Um, I should have a copy coming in in the next few days, so hopefully in a week or two, sometime around the beginning of the year, we'll show the modern-day parable of the Good Samaritan. I was going to tell you a funny story. Uh, After teaching that, Last Wednesday night, I go out into the parking lot, and somebody's got their hood up, and two people standing around. Somebody left their lights on, so I told them that the, the people's offering assistance passed the Good Samaritan test, and I was really proud of them for that. And so the following uh, Saturday, I was at the post office in Pleasant View, and uh, just it was crazy. You know, everybody was getting their cards in the mail at the last minute for Christmas, and so I, I kind of do my thing, go through the parking lot, and look over in the corner of my eye, see a guy with a super flat tire right there in the parking lot. And I'm like, okay, I, I taught the Good Samaritan. I got to park my car and help him, so I did. And it turned out he was a member of the church and uh, really appreciated the help. And, and uh, he was an older gentleman. We got his tire changed. And uh, I thought that was funny. I told him, I said, you know, I, I taught the parable of the Good Samaritan Wednesday night prior to being here, and so I, I had to stop and help you, but it was kind of neat to be able to help them out. So tonight we're going to do the parable of the ten young virgins, uh, and we'll kind of talk about that and, and have some discussion, look at some various scriptures, and uh, I will tell you that this particular parable in Matthew 25 it's interesting how it's open to like different interpretations. What exactly does that mean? So just like a Bible commentary, you start reading Bible commentaries on some scriptures and you get a wide variety of interpretations and meanings. So we'll jump in here, do a deep dive and kind of see what do the scriptures say and we'll draw some conclusions of things we know that it means according to the Bible and try to avoid speculating too much on what that may mean. Um. So there's a lot of variation, a lot of opinions on what it could mean. Uh, I want to look at the Bible, stay in context. And so the first question I wanted to ask tonight to all of you to get some discussion going, and I do have Kevin back there with the microphone. Why do you think Jesus chose to tell this parable of the ten virgins? What was his reason? What was the motive behind him telling this story. What do you think? All right, Glenn. Kevin's on his way. Just a second, and we'll get the mic. Sorry. Just for the benefit of those that are listening through our... I think it means, uh, well, Jesus so often when he'd do a parable or uh, some type of illustration, it would be multifaceted. And so it, this, to me, is a story within a story or a parable within a parable. Uh, to me, there's several things here that can be learned. Okay. Uh, one is about preparedness. So it's a multi-layered yeah. story. Yeah. Okay. And so it's about being prepared as far as these these uh, 
virgins that came to, came to this wedding, but they were not only had not prepared, but they had not thought progressively what was involved into the commitment that they were going to participate in. Yes. And uh, I see that I run into this every day with my, myself, my family, uh, friends, they don't prepare enough. Uh, so many times we'll back, we, Judy and I was going Christmas shopping today. Just got out of the driveway, started going down the street. Oh no, I forgot something. I left it. Would you get out of the car and go in and get my billfold and my, no, that's a great thing to do. Honey. I said, you, you got halfway there. You left it on the washing machine. But so often we do that kind of in a hurry, haphazardly, don't think things through. And I'm the chief of sinners, and I think we all do that in our lives. Yeah. And I think Jesus wants us to be in a stated, a, a state of preparedness for him and for opportunities. And in chapter 24, in verse 1, Jesus shocks his disciples, in particular the apostles, by talking about the temple. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, this is the beautiful, glorious Temple of Solomon, the one that, I think, wasn't it called Herod's Temple? Uh, Herod had, had contributed some of his own personal funds to build it, and it was a glorious, beautiful temple that had been rebuilt several times, remodeled. But there's stones that probably weighed in the, in the area of like eight tons, hewn stones that were stacked. Pardon? Yeah. Okay. All right, so it's basically called at this point Herod's Temple, I'm assuming. And it was a beautiful, magnificent structure. And Jesus shocked them. I mean, it was, it was a source of pride for the Jews because it was the center of their worship. Jesus said, this, there's going to come a time where there's not a stone. Obviously, not one stone will be on top of another. And they're like, came to him privately in verse 3 of the prior chapter, and they said, tell us what in the world are you talking about? What are the signs? And so, and then he talks about things that are going to happen. So as you go through chapter 24, it's fascinating because there's two primary events that he discusses in chapter 24. One is the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, 
this particular temple, according to historians, the Romans uh, wanted to make a statement. And so in AD 70, they took the grounds of this temple and everything was leveled. And they literally put plows and plowed up to the ground where the temple is. No plows. Stones were leveled. Nothing remained. And, and so the destruction of the temple, great persecution in AD 70. The other event that he talks about in Matthew 24 is what's called the, the day of the Lord or the second coming. Now, this is the event that we call, you know, the end time where the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ rise first, the Lord returns with his angelic host, and we're all caught up in the air. So two major events. And he's saying in context in Matthew 24 that you need to be ready. And so... In verse 29, if you're, if you're still in chapter 24, drop down to verse 29 where he talks specifically not about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he talks about the end of time. He talks about the sun being darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. Verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then he said, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Uh, He'll send out his angels uh, with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds. And then then he just basically talks about, starting in verse 36, this is important, okay? We're getting down toward the end of the chapter. But in, in 36 he says, but concerning that day, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. And then he, then he equates it, he draws a parallel to Noah. Remember, Noah had been preaching and preaching and preaching for quite a long period of time. And nobody repented, nobody listened, they just heckled him, they laughed at him, they said, you're crazy, until it started raining, until it started flooding. And then they realized too late what Noah had been preaching was true, and no one was prepared. No one took Noah up on his offer. And by that time, the Lord had closed the door and sealed it. So, a very interesting uh, story, chapter 24. Look at verse 44 in Matthew 24. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, Jesus asked, whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, the idea is a, a wise servant says the master's returning. I don't know when, but I want to be prepared. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. But we need to be vigilant. We need to be ever ready. We need to be disciplined in our thinking and be prepared for the return of the Lord. Even if it's a long time, even if it's delayed. So context, context, context. That's what Jesus talks about in this chapter. And then, I'm curious, uh, if you turn over to chapter 25... What does it say in verse 1? How does it introduce it? In, I've got the English Standard Version. Anybody have the NIV? What's the very first words of that verse? 
Okay, just read the, read the first part of the sentence there in verse 1. Okay, yeah. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. He's, he's kind of connecting the thought of Matthew 25, what he had just been talking about in his previous chapter. Right? Of thought. So I'm talking about readiness, I'm talking about my return, about being prepared, being ready. I just talked to you about Noah days of Noah, people were going about their routines, but then all of a sudden, sin happens. So now, ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Jesus is going to suddenly return, and he gives them a wedding feast application. Now, I've not really studied Jewish wedding feasts, but I wanted to share with you something that I found. This is just um, a quote. This was apparently D.A. Carson. He has like a Bible commentary. And so I'm going to read to you an excerpt from D.A. Carson about Jewish weddings. Now, how does a Jewish wedding differ from an American wedding? Who can tell me? Just anything. What? The Jewish wedding, you mean like an hour? No? Several days, right? Yeah, I think it's like several days. Uh, I always tell people when I officiate a wedding, I said typical service for me is about 25 minutes for a wedding. I've been in weddings that went on for an hour. I'm like, oh my goodness, come on, get them married. Let's get out of here. We got wedding cake to eat, right? Hors d'oeuvres, lunch, cake. In American culture, you get a 40-minute wedding to an hour is kind of long. 20 minutes is even better. But in the Jewish ceremony, this went on for days. Days and days. Sean, you had a comment? Okay. Don't they wear... Where like Jewish wear the uh, what do you call that thing on top of your head? Yeah. yeah. A what? A yamaka? Happy yama yamaka yamaka yamaka. I don't know. I know they did a lot of dancing and singing, and there was a lot of wine involved. I'll tell you that much. If you've seen the Chosen in one of the seasons, uh, there's a, there's a wedding feast. Where Jesus goes, and uh, Thomas is introduced as the one who is the provider of the wine, and um, really interesting story. But uh, yeah, this is a big deal, and 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 so there's a tremendous amount of expense and preparation and days of festivities, and so you have to prepare for all of these guests, and it's very involved. So let me talk a minute about the bridegroom. Now, there's a lot more to a Jewish wedding that I can't really go into details here that was part of the custom, but for the purpose of our lesson tonight, here's what uh, D.A. Carson says. Normally, the bridegroom 
and some close friends left his home to go to the bride's home where there were various ceremonies, multiple ceremonies, followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall. So they have a bunch of ceremonies at the, at the, uh, at the home of the bride, and then the bridegroom leads a procession to his house. It goes through the streets. It's at night. So because it's at night, according to Jewish custom, those in that wedding party would either have a long stick with rags wrapped around it, be dipped in some sort of oil or, or flammable liquid, a tar-type substance that would light, or they would have an oil lamp, right? As you're marching at night and having fun and partying and going through the streets. Then he says the ten virgins may be bridesmaids who have been assisting the bride... And they expect to meet the groom as he comes to her house. So that makes sense, right? They're with the bride, and they're waiting, ex- expecting him to come and begin the festivities and then lead the procession to his house where they'll have more parties. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch. Those without a torch would be assumed to be Party crashers, you know, people who weren't invited or shouldn't, you know, hey, let's go to a party. You want to let's crash the wedding? And so if they didn't have a torch or a light, they were probably not on the guest list and um, were questioned. The festivities, which might last several days, Gentry, uh, would formally get underway where? At the groom's house. So this idea and the parable of the women you know, running out to buy oil, and we'll read that in a minute. And then they come back and, you know, hey, 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 let me in. I'm, I'm late. I don't, I don't know you. So it makes sense in context. They were trying to get into the groom's house and knocking on the door. So we'll go back to the text and read it and see what's going on. So it says here, Jesus is quoting in verse 2, five of these uh, bridesmaids were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So it sounds like five of them had extra oil. They were doing what, Glenn? They were being prepared, and they gave forethought to a timeline, a sequence of events, just in case the bridegroom is delayed in coming to get his bride, and I'm escorting her and the bridegroom back to his house, I may need extra oil. After all, we don't know when he's going to be here. All right? Yeah. Comment? Hang on. Let me, let me get Kevin's mic there to you. looking at the dynamics of these lamps and I, I would you know you were saying torches uh, some of the lesser weddings where they didn't have the resources yeah uh, this is a class a jewish wedding this okay is a say intensity this was a big one a big one yeah this was an important big to event. do and that's what jesus is trying to help them understand this is just not your little 
run-of-the-mill wedding. This is the big event. Okay. And so uh, the, some of the things I found is interesting, I studied about lamps and how they work in that time. And uh, the lamps had oil in them, and they need to be supplied. And if you didn't trim the wick on the lamp, it will it will start. And you anybody's got a candle or anything, blow it out and see what it does. And it smokes, just yeah. smokes everywhere. Right. And and so it was with that. If you didn't tra- have your wick trimmed and you didn't have these virgins that could go around trimming everybody's wicks for them in the wedding party, pretty soon the place was sooted up with smoke. So there was a very practical reason for doing what they did. And so Jesus is telling them in real life and real time, hey, these ladies aren't on the ball and aren't prepared and don't have the oil and don't have the means to trim wicks and do what they're supposed to do as bridesmaids, this could really get nasty in a hurry. Yeah. You take 100 people or more and put them in a room with all of them with candles and they don't trim their wicks, you got a, a whole room full of soot and smoke. Yeah, interesting. All right, so I wanted to just spend a few minutes drawing some parallels between this parable that Jesus teaches. First of all, in the parable that we're reading, who do you think the bridegroom is? In the story that Jesus tells. All right, now we're doing application to real life. The bridegroom is Jesus, yeah. And how do we know that? Well, I've got some scriptures, and uh, let me pick out a couple. Isaiah 54, Ryan, can you read that? David, can I get you to read uh, Hosea 2 and verse 19? And then Glenn, you got your Bible handy? John 3, 27 through 30. Now, I've got more, but we'll just read those. And then uh, these are all talking about the husband or bridegroom of the church. So the first one, I think, was Isaiah 54. Is that right? The whole chapter? Uh, four through six. Okay, four through yeah, six. Yeah, four through six. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not feel humi- humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of, of your widowhood, and will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your rememberer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she she is rejected, says your God. So at least in the Old Testament, we see some parallels already being drawn between God being the husband of Israel. Is that would, would you say that's fair? Is that accurate? God says, I am your husband, right? Even if you're an abandoned widow, you still got a husband. I'm your husband, all right? The other one, I think, was Hosea 2. Is that right, David? Yeah, 2, 19. Yes, sir. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. All right. So again, this is God speaking through the prophets going, I'm marrying you, God's covenant people, to to me. And I think the other one we had was, which one did I give you? 
uh, John 3, John, John 3, 27, 30. yep. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is in full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. Okay, so was John the Baptist the bridegroom in this passage? No, who is he pointing to? Jesus, yeah, he's the best man. Jesus is the bridegroom, so who's the bride? The church. All right, the bride is the church. Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, in Ephesians five twenty-five through 32, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that, that the church is the bride of Christ. So we'll, we'll draw some very quick parallels. We know for sure, at least Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom who will be returning to take his bride home, right? Be ready. All of you bridegrooms out there, who are assisting the bride, are part of that, that uh, church, be prepared. I, the bridegroom, am coming. I think I said that right. The bridegroom is coming, be prepared. The bridesmaids who are assisting uh, the bride, get ready. So, Jesus is coming. He's the bridegroom. In this case, the ten young women are the church. Now, this is really interesting, something I sort of discovered that, and Glenn, you can maybe help me out here in, in doing a little deeper dive, but if in this parable everyone is already a bridesmaid, they're in the party that's welcoming and preparing to meet the bridegroom, right? Does that make sense? You see, here's what I want you to understand in this parable, the world is not even depicted. These are all God's elect. These are all part of the wedding party. Christians universally throughout the world, the saved, God's children. Right? right? Does it make sense? That's who this parable is being limited to. But yet in this, in this parable... How many of the bridesmaids had oil and were ready? How many ran out? Five out of ten, right? Five were foolish. Five were wise. Listen to what he says here in verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed they all became drowsy and slept. Now, is it wrong to sleep? See, in, in a lot of times when you hear people who, who dissect this parable, they're like, see, they weren't watching, they were asleep. No, that's not the point. They were ready and waiting, but because he was delayed, their bodies naturally grew tired. What happens when you get tired? Especially as you get older, right? We sit down, we get still, and we take a nap. 
We just get, that's human nature. It's not that they weren't prepared for the bridegroom. They were waiting and anxious, but he was delayed. So they fell asleep. Hey, guess what? Life is about working, having time of recreation, sleeping, relaxing, and doing all kinds of things. But here's the key in this parable. Even if the bridegroom is delayed, are you still ready? See, are you prepared? So the sin here, this foolishness, is not in the fact that they slept. They all slept. The wise ones slept. The foolish ones slept. But where do we see the difference? Boom, when the bridegroom shows up, he's here, he's here. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. All right, I want to stop there. Okay, what does that mean? How, when, when oil seems to be the focus here, what does that, how does that translate into our modern life? What is oil today? What does trimming our lamps mean today? And what does it mean when people ask for oil and they don't have any? Let's kind of see if we can work all that out. Anybody have any thoughts? Glenn, here comes Kevin. Oil is resources. Uh, it's different nowadays. We, we're so spoiled rotten. We've got electric lights. We, we have hard, trouble making, understanding this because we don't have to live in that time. But there, you only light, you no flashlights, no other alternate power other than God's good sunlight. And if it was of an evening or, or any other time, uh, a cloudy day, uh, you get in an enclosed building and it's dark. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have resources not only available but functioning through all of these big events uh, or you're not going to have the light. To me, it's like a double simile. He says, God says, I'm the way and the truth and the light. I am the light. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that I'm providing it through these lamps at this time, I'm still a light. And the darkness, it dispels the darkness. Right. Well, so it is with the church and with us in our daily lives. To me, I don't like to wake up in the morning when the sun had not come up and it's dark in my room. I want to get those lights on as fast as I can. Most of us are that way. That's fine to sleep in the dark, but when you've got something to do, you want light. Yeah, it's interesting that in the Christian life, light, which we, each Christian, is supposed to emit, let your light so shine, right? Isn't that what Jesus said mm-hmm. in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, he says so that people may see these good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We all are supposed to be light emitters, right? And the idea, I think, here is this parable that if we claim to be the child of God and we're in a state of readiness and preparation for his return, let us never, ever run out of oil Mm -hmm. because without oil we cannot produce light. Right? right. So we can claim to be a child of God, but if we're not looking anxiously for his return and in the meantime producing light and have ample supplies of oil, good works, then we're going to run out and we won't be focused or prepared. There's and I think I saw a hand up. Who was it? 
who had their hand up over One here? Thing, oh, Carla. Carla. I still got the mic, so I'm going to give it back real quick. Sorry, Carla. He's not giving yeah, up the microphone. Heard, Carla. Uh, He'll the, give it up in a minute. I'm done, but I'm, let me finish with this. Uh, when you when we're talking about that light, um, it, it, the scripture also comes to mind. Give every man for a reason for the hope that's within you. Well, you could transfer that word light because that is the hope. It's light. Mm-hmm. The gospel, the light of God. And, and you're good. the only way you're going to do that is you are prepared with the resources, whether they be psychological, verbal, or physical, to, to set the stage for people to receive the light of God. Amen. And it's more than just basic uh, basics. It's everything. And, and I, I keep I'm reminding myself, God is everything. He's the way, the truth, the light. He is everything that we need if we'll just be ready. Yes. To go to work for him. Amen. Kevin, can you run that over to Carla, please? She had her hand up. and Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate the, that insight. Yes, Carla, what's on your mind? Okay, here's a couple of thoughts. Okay, um, great. Bring it. Um, you know, the oil is what's producing the light. Correct. So you cannot have light without the oil. Amen. And as he said at the very end, we, we get our wisdom from the Word of God. Yes, and um, then the part where it says, um, give us your oil. Yes. No one can do that for you. Okay. Yeah. Expound we, on that. That's a good point. Cannot. It is our job to share this word, though. Yeah. So my thought process is, or I, for you to think about. Yes. I can share this word with you. Right. But what you do with it is your choice. Right. And so... There's a dichotomy there. Right. So just uh, open for discussion. Yeah. You're, you're right on track, Carla. I, I think you're, you're making a great point. Let me, let me see if I can make this real in everybody's mind. All right. We're all, going, we're, we're all in the Lord's church. We're all baptized believers. We all believe in Jesus, confess his name, take the Lord's Supper, sing praises to him. We even talk about him at work. However, some of us in the church have gotten a little distracted lately, busy doing things that maybe aren't kingdom-related, right? Good things, but caught up in a lot of busyness and distracted. Boom! One day, out out of nowhere, we hear a trumpet. We hear a trumpet. It's the Lord coming back. And in the hearts of those who have become distracted and busy and just running all over the place, doing worldly things, they're like, I took my eye off my primary task of being ready for the Lord. And here he is. I'm not prepared. I allowed Satan to convince me to take my eye off the ball. And I got caught off guard. See, I think that's the crux of this whole parable. Some of those wise women had extra oil, and were diligent and ready. Even though they slept, which is a normal function, they were still ready, they were prepared, and they thought ahead of time, I've got to stay focused on the task at hand. Five of those young women are like, Woohoo, let's go have a party. We're going to have fun. You know, we're going we're gonna to spend several days at the bridegroom's house. He's coming. Yay, we got our lamps. When the bridegroom came, listen carefully, All of the virgins had burning lamps. 
every single one of them. Some didn't have enough to make it to the bridegroom's house. And for that reason, they were unprepared and had to leave. They got distracted and they were unprepared. You see, Jesus is saying, trust me, there may be a delay in my coming and you've given up on it. You get distracted. Satan's like, look over here, look over here. This is good activity. Do this, do this. And we forget our primary directive to seek and save the lost and let good works be emitted from our life, right, by faith to glorify God. We get distracted. And when the, and when the Lord returns, some of us are like, oh, help me, help me. I'm not ready. But Carla, another Christian can't help you be ready for the Lord if he's already come because it's too late. That preparation and readiness and discipline have to take place every day, every week, every year. It's a discipline. It's saying the Lord is going to come and I must be ready. Am I doing the things that are kingdom focused in my life? Am I putting emphasis in those things that are kingdom things in my life? The activities and the events that I take my children to and how I spend my time and how I share the Word of God with other people, that is oil in my lamp. And see, I'm afraid there's brethren in the church who have been distracted by the devil who are doing good things that are not kingdom things. Amen? I'm preaching now, sorry. It's an important message. Sean, you had your hand up. I was just going to point out I don't think most people are going to know what that noise is right <laughs> yeah. away. But remember, Sean, it's not the world in this parable. It's only saved people who are part of the Lord's church. But unfortunately, oh, yeah. some of those people will be unprepared yeah. when the Lord comes. So they'll all know what the trumpet is, right? They'll all know what the trumpet is, but not all of them will be ready. All right, give us some of your oil is not an acceptable solution. It was a lack of preparation that caused the door to be locked. And I just want you to remember, this is so important, that when the bridegroom came, get up, get up, wake up, he's here. They all had oil and their lamps were burning. Some did not have enough, half were ill-prepared and had not thought and prepared ahead of time. They were surprised. They knew it, but they were still surprised and ill-prepared. So what did they do? They ran off. They got more oil. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Man, I just want all of us at Stroudsville to have plenty of oil. Do whatever you got to do to be ready. And if you're one of these people that maybe you're being uh, hounded by different people in the community, come serve on this uh, committee or do this or get involved or volunteer or do this, and all of a sudden you find yourself 
drowning in, in volunteer work and neglecting kingdom things, be careful. Be careful. Stay focused on the kingdom. Amen. But not all volunteer work are kingdom things. Yes, sir. There's a lot of good work out there that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So, yeah, we, we have to discern and be wise. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Every Christian should be doing servant work that glorifies God and furthers the kingdom. But it's the devil's job to get us distracted and involved in good things that don't have anything to do with people's souls, right? Things that aren't forever. It happens all the time. So we need to be prepared. Remember what God values is things that are focusing on souls and people. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to, finish that sentence, seek and save the lost. Now, it doesn't mean that he spent all his time feeding the hungry, right, or healing. He spent some time doing those things, but his primary directive was souls, people, and glorifying his Father in obedience. So it... The devil's not stupid. He gets us involved. He gets us distracted. He gets us focusing on things that aren't kingdom things, and we find ourselves ill-prepared. I want to close tonight with uh, Titus 2.11, if you want to open your Bible. Any comments before I, I wrap up? Appreciated your thoughts tonight. Thank you, Carla and Glenn and those of you that made comments. This is a, a pretty good overview, sort of a summary passage of, of our parable tonight, Titus 2, we're going to look at verse 11. In other words, I guess what I'm saying here in Titus 2.11 is, let's start looking at how we can be people full of oil, oily, producing light. Titus writes in chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What does that mean? That means that when you've been called to follow Jesus and you voluntarily sign up and say, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to crucify self, that means that you've renounced worldly thinking and worldly living, and you're now living here to glorify him. And it says in verse 14, that you are now zealous for good works. Why? To bring honor to self? No, to glorify him. How do we let our light shine? We do good works. We're out there giving God honor and glory and, and blessing others and saying this is because I serve the Lord and I live in anticipation of his return. He'll be here any day. I'm ready. And I want him when he comes to find me ready and being obedient to his will. That's critical. So important. And I just 
I shudder when I think about so many people that come to church that are going through the motions of Christianity, but they're not living their life. It's kingdom-focused. Glenn? Several days, four days, three days before Christmas, and we're surrounded. Judy and I went shopping today looking for wrap up our Christmas shopping, and I thought, you know, uh, can you can you still show the love of Christ in the middle of all this chaos and craziness? And so I was laughing at Judy. Uh, she says, I can't believe this. She says, I'm in a line at Kroger. She said, it goes, wraps all around the store and comes out the door. Yeah. And she said, she said, it's just staggering. And I said, well, what'd you do while he's there? She said, I visited with everybody in the line. You know, so often what we see as a burden is an opportunity the Lord's presenting us to talk about what we have in common, our faith. Uh, the guy at the, uh, uh, oh, what's a kettle people, Salvation Army. Yeah, yeah, the bell you know, ringers. I was, uh, you know, I thought, hey, here's an opportunity. He's sitting there. I was in the car waiting on Judy, and he was sitting there, you know, bringing his bell. So I got me a few bills and took over there to him. And I said, hey, I said, uh, are you okay with saying Merry Christmas? And I thought, this is an opportunity to crack up a conversation. And he says, Merry, yeah, but he was a big black fella. And he says, yes, sir. He said, I'll be singing this, ringing this bell and singing this Merry Christmas song all day. There you go. And I said, well, good for you. Yeah. I said, you realize a lot of people have been told in these stores, you can't say anything about religion. And I said, uh, you know, I said, the Muslims, the Jews, last Tuesday was, um, oh, um, what's the Maccabees thing? Hanukkah. I said, the Jews have their Hanukkah. The Muslims have their thing. I'm not sure what it is. But I said, so often we'll tolerate others' faiths. But why is it, you know, Christians are always singled out, say, no, you need to be silent. And he said, you know, that's Satan. And I thought, boy, bless your heart. You and I said, you know it is. And I said, people try to keep us quiet for expressing our faith. And I said, especially now, this is Christ in the world's eyes of this was Christ was born. I said, probably wasn't. But, but I was sitting there chatting with him. People were bopping cash in his deal, and he was ringing his bell while we were talking. But that was an opportunity. And we finished. Amen. I said, oh, brother, you just keep right on saying Merry Christmas. You Amen. have a right to it. And it's, uh, if it's not Jesus' birthday, he was born. We know that. Absolutely. Amen. You tell that man was a believer. Yep. And I wouldn't know. He could have been an atheist as far as I knew until I talked to him. But out of the issue of his heart, told me where his heart and his mind and his soul was. Amen. All right. Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate all your comments tonight in class. Who's leading our song tonight? Wes? Okay. You got somebody for prayer? Huh? Okay. Good. All right. We'll get somebody tagged for prayer as we have our prayer request. Oh, Ryan's volunteering. He's the man, isn't he? All right. Well, uh, Miss Meg had an appointment at Vanderbilt today down in Nashville, she kind of looked at me like, would you drive me to Vanderbilt? I'm not sure I want to drive on. Yes, dear, I'll do it. I'll take you. And so I thought, you know what I can do? I can sit with her in the waiting room and work on my Wednesday night lesson, use my time wisely, and she can do her thing in the, in the doctor's office. And that'll, you know, that'll be do, being a good husband, right? And Meg's like, yeah, that would be because, yeah, yeah. So we're sitting in there, and I hear this very distressed voice around the corner. This lady's kind of on the verge of tears, and it kind of went like this. Can you help me? I'm lost. 
I've, I've been wandering around in this hospital for an hour. I'm from Florida. I, my, my, my dad's here, and I don't know how to get back to valet parking. Can, can you help me? I need somebody to take me. And I'm like, this lady's going to bust out in tears. You know, it was like, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, you know. And, and the ladies behind the counter, they were, like, busy. They were busy, you know, like, I wish I could help you. I'm looking around going, surely somebody's going to help this poor lady. So guess who helped her? I said, ma'am, I've been in this hospital a lot. You know, I'm a minister. I've walked these halls, so I'm going to take you back to Valley Parking. Oh, she said, thank you. I'm just so stressed. I was about ready to have a panic attack. I said, yeah, I noticed that. But the point is this, that if we just listen and look, all around us. We're going to find people, church, who are lost, and they're desperately seeking for direction, and God is begging us, will somebody please help this person who is lost? They just need someone who cares. And in the hallway, she thanked me. She said, thank you for helping me. I said, I'm glad to do it. Glad to do it. But how many people do we see each day that are lost but yet they receive no help. And they're seeking for answers, but there's no one there. So, brothers and sisters, my point is this. Let us be prepared to reach those people who need help and are lost. They're out there. Do you believe that? Andy Brashears, who's the governor of Kentucky, said on the news locally, there was a, a broadcast, and he said, I cannot overstate the importance for each citizen in the state of Kentucky, to be prepared for what's coming. Of course, we know he's talking about the event tomorrow night, right? He said, this is dangerous. It's going to impact a lot of people. Be ready. I thought, you go, Andy Brashears. That's true in the life of a Christian, right? we got to be prepared, and we got to be ready, and we've got to be focused on what our Father wants us to do. So, If you hear a voice and there's somebody that needs directions and they're lost, do something. Help them. Teach them. Be kind. Let them know you care. And that's how you glorify your Father and please Him. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. The invitation is yours tonight. Wes is going to lead us in a song, and then we'll be led in prayer by Ryan in just a moment. But if you need uh, help in reaching that person who needs Jesus then uh, we'll be glad to pray for you tonight. But let's stand and sing together. Wes? Almost persuaded now to believe Almost persuaded Christ to receive Seems now some soul to say Jesus and light.
Good to have everyone here tonight, and we trust and pray that you'll have a wonderful holiday and, and be safe if you're traveling and, and uh, spend time with family. Just a couple of quick announcements. Challenge Youth Conference, we call that CYC, is for 6th through 12th grade in Pigeon Forge. That's February 24th through 26th. The cost is 35 per person. There is a sign-up sheet uh, on the youth board. Ryan Blunt needs your payment tonight made payable to the church. So if you want to try to go to CYC, you've got to do something tonight. There will be no Sunday evening service this Sunday since it's Christmas Day, but we're going to have our Bible study and, and regular worship that morning. So we hope that you'll be here and join us if you're in town. There is a New Year's Eve party on December 31st in the Fellowship Hall uh, beginning at 6.30 p.m. And you can stay as long as you want, bring appetizers, desserts, your favorite game, and just come and spend time with us. So what's our count tonight? 98. Great. That's wonderful. Uh, any update on the sick? Any family information, prayer request, updates? Anybody? Okay. Well, I know they were concerned about getting that blood to come back with no sepsis in it, and that's the conversation we had Monday. So he is home now, but he sounds rough. I know he's glad to be home. He, he spent his birthday in the hospital. That's kind of a downer, but uh, Jason was in good spirits, and I know he appreciated your prayers. So keep a- Jamie, Amy and Jason in prayer as he continues to recover from pneumonia. All right. Thank you, Wanda. Anyone else? Yes, Glenn? Fieldstone? Yes. Uh-huh. Signature Healthcare, where Bill Young is staying, is also getting COVID going through it, and Bill was diagnosed. He's asymptomatic, but he tested positive for COVID, so he wanted to let y'all know in case you were going to go see Bill, just wait until he's COVID-free. But Bill's been an incredible inspiration. If you've read his post on Facebook, he's never complained. He's always encouraging. He's always thankful and thanking BJ, and I'm like, Wow. That's a great spirit, uh, going through what he's going through to not be whining and complaining, but being very positive, and he's an inspiration to me. I appreciate Bill. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Yeah, could, they could be in lockdown. Right, 
Right. Yeah, I imagine his facilities in lockdown right now. I don't know that, but probably. All right. Yeah. Any other comments, questions, um, announcements, or yes, Shannon. Wow, wow, that's great. A, a, a good turn. All right, did you get that, Ron? Okay, if there's no more announcements, I don't see any hands up. Uh, we'll ask Ron to dismiss us, and uh, appreciate Ron, and y'all have a safe, safe week. I did have a couple other uh, prayer requests and announcements, so. So that's coming up. Uh, I have a co-worker, Susan Sands, called me today. And Susan's a uh, single mom of three, um, custodian over in East Tennessee, and she has a aneurysm on her aorta. So I'm going to mention her. I think she's scheduled for open-heart surgery on January 25th. Also, uh, our brother, Steve Kirby, had minor procedure today, replaced a uh, battery in a um, pacemaker. So he pulled through that okay, but it's got about a week of recovery. So we'll remember him. And um, also got a thank you note from the Gaucher family. If y'all will recall, uh, Ryder Gaucher, um, young young baby, I think he was 18 months old, and he was diagnosed with uh, liver cancer. Had a very large tumor on his liver. Um, underwent several treatments and ultimately ended up having to have a liver transplant. We received, we the church received a uh, Christmas card and a thank you note on the back which says, Strasville Church of Christ, thank you for praying for our family this past year. We are forever, forever grateful and plan to visit when Ryder has been cleared. Thank you again and Merry Christmas. So I'll put this on the bulletin board. If you want to see what prayer does, look at young Ryder and, and his family there celebrating Christmas. Just amazing uh, what God does through through prayer and what our modern medicine, medicine can do to actually take an adult liver and split it and put it in a baby. So, with all that being said, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are our God. Thankful that we can gather together. Thankful for uh, this time of year. Thankful for this congregation, Lord. Just ask for your continued blessings um, on us, Lord. We ask for... Uh, your blessing of safety uh, for this weather that's coming in, uh, this Arctic blast of, of cold weather, Lord. Just know that there are many dangers involved um, from exposure to traveling and um, emergency response. Uh, road workers are trying to keep the uh, roads clear, Lord. Just ask that you please uh, bless everyone. Put your hand of protection on all those who have to be out in it, Lord. Just pray that... Um, the weather does not get too bad and that power is not lost and uh, different things uh, like that, Lord. And, and if they are, we just uh, pray that we're able to pull through and, and help each other out uh, the way that you would have us do. Lord, so thankful that we can um, praise you and, and lift concerns up to you at the same time. Lord, uh, we want to continue to remember Jason Barrett so thankful that he's out of the hospital, but it sounds like he still uh, has some recovering to do. Lord, just so thankful for uh, Jason and, and the hard work that he does here as a deacon. And I just ask you please put your healing hand on him and, and be with uh, Amy and the girls and all those who are um, looking after him as well. 
Lord, I want to continue to remember uh, Bill Young. I uh, just ask you please uh, uh, keep him healthy from the COVID, but also his uh, recovery. So thankful for his great attitude. Lord, just ask that you please continue to be with him, and, and especially through these uh, Christmas holidays. Lord, and please be with BJ and the girls, and uh, pray that they're, they're able to pull through well as also, Lord, just uh, pray for uh, Fieldstone and Signature Healthcare and, and know many other assisted living and, and healthcare facilities are being affected by um, COVID again. Lord, just pray that uh, you put your healing hand on them, all those who are affected, and Lord, just help us to, to pull through. Lord, we're so thankful that Vicki Robbins' sister is recovering. Uh, she's had such the journey, Lord, and just pray that she does continue this recovery and that she is able to be home uh, for Christmas. Lord, just uh, uh, please please be with her. Lord, I want to pray for uh, Susan Sands and her upcoming surgery, her family, Lord, all those who will be uh, looking after her. Lord, pray for Brother Steve Kirby as he recovers uh, today as well. Lord, and we're just uh, so thankful for all that you've done for the Gaucher family and the way that you've seen them through with uh, Ryder's cancer and, and transplant, Lord, and as uh, they continue on this journey, Lord, just uh, so thankful that they're able to celebrate Christmas together uh, this year, and Lord, I just uh, ask you please continue to be with them. Lord, I know there's others I have not mentioned. Uh, we all have friends, family, loved ones who are undergoing um, test procedures, things that are just uh, so much bigger uh, than than and out of their control. Lord, just pray that we always look to you for guidance, help, just to help us uh, lift these burdens up to you, Lord, and understand that you have a plan for us. And we thank you for that plan, Lord. We thank you for, for your plan, especially your plan of sending Jesus, our Savior, to this earth. To, to die for us. It's through his name we pray. Amen.